Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. So, um, this morning, in the first session, we're covering this topic, Grow and Give, Practical Steps to Becoming a More Generous Christian. So, as I've had the opportunity to talk to uh, Christians, really, all across the country about the area of finances and talk to them about you know, what's, what's important to you, what, 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 what do you want to be able to, to do, why, why are finances uh, an important goal for you? What I hear very often from Christians is, Nate, I, I wish I was able to do more in the way of being generous. I, I wish I could give more, whether that's to my church or to missions or to you know, uh, addiction recovery programs or crisis pregnancy centers. Or I wish I could be more generous, but not just financially more generous. I, I want to be more giving with my, my life, with, with my time. I want to be able to spend time with my kids. I want to spend time with my grandkids. I want to be able to spend time volunteering. I want to be able to have the energy to be able to spend my time and energy and money on the things that really matter in life. And so in this first session, Grow and Give, what we're going to talk about is how to build margin in your financial life, how to, to strip away the unnecessary things, the things that sort of clog our life and, 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 and keep us from spending more of our time, our energy, and yes, even our money on the things that are truly most important in life. Now, uh, on your handout, uh, we'll go through and I'll, there's some, some fill in the blanks, but right at the very top, we've got a quote here. I'm going to give you the blanks for this quote. This will kind of kick us off in this session. And, and here it is. A goal without a plan is just a wish. A goal without a plan is just a wish. You've probably heard that <coughs> quote before. It's a great quote. And here's the thing. A lot of us have the desire to be more generous. Nate, I wish I could give more. I wish I could do more. I wish I had more time to, to help out in these areas. And that's a great desire. But that goal without a plan, without practical steps by which to accomplish that, is just a wish. It will never come to fruition unless we actually make practical steps and take, speci and take specific steps to, to, to see that happen. So I'm going to give you four thoughts in this first session, four ways that we can grow and we can give and we can become a more generous Christian. So number one, uh, build healthy habits. Number one, that's your first blank. Build healthy habits. See, what is holding back people from being able to do the most important things in life? Why don't we have more time to, 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 to go to our kids' sports games or music recitals or, or to take time with the family for activities or for vacation, to volunteer, to travel, to, to do things that we feel are more important than, than the minutia of everyday life? Why aren't we able to do that? I think in, in a lot of ways, uh, it's, it's because we have not built strong, healthy financial habits. There's a, there's a, a little a statistic there in your booklet, according to a uh, Federal Reserve report, approximately half of all Americans would not be able to cover a $400 emergency without borrowing. Uh, that's concerning. That's from 2016, and you know it's been a few years since then, but I, I doubt that uh, the, the, the statistics are, are much different from that number. That means there's a lot of people, a significant number of people in our country, tens of millions, 
that are in a position where if something unexpected happened, they do not have the cash on hand to, to cover that emergency. They would have to borrow. That's a very precarious place to be in life. And, and why is that? Now, in some cases, it's, it's misfortune. Some cases, it's uh, through no fault of their own. But in a lot of cases, I think it's because healthy habits have not been established. So what are these healthy habits? Well, letter A, budgeting, budgeting. Uh, I think a lot of people, I would say probably most people, I don't know, it's, it's hard to know the, the statistics on that, but I would say most people do not budget consistently. And I know maybe what you're thinking is, okay, Nate, here we go again with the budget thing. We have to talk about budgeting. I tried budgeting before, it didn't work for me. And, and, and when we bring up this topic of budgeting, I, I think there's almost like a, is, is a, almost an audible groan, like, oh, budgeting, why do we have to talk about budgeting? Because I think the fear in a lot of our, our a deep, the, the fear that we have deep down a lot of times is a budget is going to constrain me. A budget is going to not allow me to do anything I want to do. If I live by a budget, I won't be able to have any fun. I won't be able to do anything I want to do. I won't be able to buy anything I want to buy. It's just going to be uh, miserable. This budget's going to constantly hang over my head. But the truth is it's the exact opposite. When you don't live by a budget, when you don't organize your spending, when you live haphazardly with your finances, you are constantly stressed. You are constantly trying to figure out, okay, how am I going to pay the utilities this month? Okay, I need to pay the mortgage on the 15th. And uh, what about groceries? And what about the kids' music lessons? What? And you're just, it's this constant cycle of, oh, got to get to the next paycheck so I can pay this. And, the, and then you're, oh, we spent how much on restaurants this month? And it's just this constant pressure because we don't know where our money is going. And we're constantly trying to play catch up. And what a budget does is, it allows us to not wonder, where is my money going? Instead, we are telling our money where to go, and we have so much more peace and stability and predictability in our finances. It's so important to have a budget. So, um, by the way, when I talk to folks that don't have a budget, and, and I say, okay, well, let's, let's try to work on this. Uh, 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 let, let's, let's, let's get a, an idea here. How much do you spend on groceries a month? Uh, how much do you spend on utilities? How much... What I find is, in almost every case, it's like 90% of the time, people underestimate how much they're spending. Like, oh, I, I probably spend $200 a month on eating out. And then we go through their, their bank records, their credit card records, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I spent $400 on eating out this month? I, I don't even remember eating out all that much. And, 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 and it's just that when we are not tracking our money, it's very easy for us to underestimate. And I don't think people are, are trying to be dishonest when they say, oh, I think I spent $200. They just really don't know. And in their mind, they probably do think that they're correct. And by budgeting, we're much more aware of where our money is going. So getting a budget is essential. So how do we set up a budget? Well, there are so many great tools out there. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a few ideas. I use everydollar.com. That's what I use personally for uh, my, my budget. Uh, it's, it's part of Dave Ramsey's uh, program. And so I, you're probably familiar with, with Dave Ramsey's financial piece. And a great program with some great resources there. And uh, another one would be mint.com. Uh, it's a free site. What it does is it, it, it tracks and aggregates all your accounts that you link to it. Word of caution about mint.com is that the way they make money is by advertising. So they're going to send you credit card offers and bank account offers and this and that. So, so it's free to use, but then they're going to use all your information to try to sell you stuff. So be careful about that. There's a site called youneedabudget.com. That's literally the name of it, youneedabudget.com. Uh, it, it's, I think, like $8, $9 a month. So it's a paid option, but it's a great resource as well. Or you can get a lot of free spreadsheets online. I mean, you do a simple Google search, you will find all kinds of templates online, different spreadsheets that categorize it. You find one that works for you. The point is, I'm not so much concerned about which program or which spreadsheet you use. I'm just concerned that you, 
you use something. Have something in place and review it. Review your budget con consistently. It makes, it does you no good to have a budget if you're not looking at your budget. So if you use something like mint.com or a, an app that tracks your spending, but then you go three months without looking at it, well then how is that helpful? How is that making, um, making a, a difference? A big part of having a budget is really just the accountability of entering your transactions. So for me, I use every dollar and I manually enter in our transactions every month. Every dollar that I'm spending, I'm putting in the computer and it makes, it, uh, it makes me mindful of it. That when I'm, I'm typing it in, I'm like, oh, okay. Now I know how much I've been spending on restaurants this month. Okay, now I know the utility bill went up this much this month. And by having it top of mind, it keeps you aware and it keeps you accountable. So budgeting is, is crucial. Now, letter B, building healthy habits. Budget in place is really important. Debt reduction, debt reduction. 80% of Americans have consumer debt. Now, the, ba the, the main part of that is, is mortgage. So you know, most people have uh, at least a, a mortgage or, or some kind of debt. The average mortgage in America is $190,000. I would have to assume that in Newport Beach, it's probably a little bit more than that. Um, but, but that's a significant portion. Besides mortgages, uh, consumer debt per American family is $38,000. So that's on top of, of a mortgage. So that would be student loans, credit cards, car loans, et cetera. We have a lot of debt. Uh, in fact, in America, all the debt added up is over $14 trillion. And that's such an astronomical number, I'm not even gonna try to explain or try to help gauge how much money, it's a lot of money, right? There's a lot of debt in America. And nothing really squeezes your monthly finances like debt. What's amazing is when you have the student loan payment and the credit card payment and the car loan payment and the mortgage payment, how much of your monthly expenditures just get eaten up right there with debt payments. Now, uh, we're gonna talk about this tomorrow. I do not believe that having debt is a sin, okay? I have a mortgage, so I would be very hypocritical if I believe that having debt was a sin. However, it is very, very, how, how do I wanna say this? Uh, we, we need to be very, very careful about anytime we do take on debt. I think there are times where it's appropriate and it's even good stewardship to, to borrow money, but we have to be very careful. And we live in a society that constantly pushes us, I'll put it on the credit card, 0%, no payment for six months. You can afford it. Look, it's only $100, it's only $300, you can swing it. And we're constantly being pushed to consume and to go into debt. And it's, it's, it's choking a lot of American families' ability to build margin in their financial life. So uh, this is one of the, the best ways to build space in your monthly budget is to pay down this debt. Start with the highest interest debt. So if you've got car loans, student loans, credit card, mortgage, down the line, start with your highest interest debt. If you're trying to get your debt paid off, now some people tell you go with the smallest amount, find the smallest, and, and the idea there is you, you build momentum. You kind of get a little win under your belt and then you move on to the, the second smallest, et cetera. And that's fine, okay, that, that, that'll work, but if you really want to save the most amount of money and pay it off the quickest, you start with the highest interest debt. So if you've got a credit card and then a car loan and then the mortgage, well, the credit card's gonna be the highest interest. So you pay your minimum on your other debt and then you take as much money as you can scrape together and you pay it towards the highest interest debt. Maybe it's $300 a month, maybe it's $500 a month and you keep doing that until it's paid off. And then you take that money that you were paying and then you move it on to the second highest interest debt. And that's, so it's called the debt avalanche. You've heard of the debt snowball, debt avalanche. Okay, same similar idea, but, but truly that would be the, uh, 
mathematically speaking, that would be the best way, quickest way to save the most money and pay off your debt quickest. Start with the highest interest debt. Um, by the way, paying off high interest debt is a better return on your money than investing. So if you've got a credit card where you're paying 24% interest, and you're like, well, but I, I need to get started for retirement. I've got, this, you know, should I be putting money in the 401k or in the IRA? You know, maybe I can get 8%. Maybe I can get 10% return over the long term. Well, if you're paying 24% interest on your credit card and you pay that off, that's a better return than your long-term return on your investments. You see what I'm saying there? And so now if we're talking about whether I should pay off my mortgage at 4% interest or invest, that's a different conversation. But high interest debt for sure will be a better return on your money to pay that off before investing for the long term. So uh, not only will you build so much more room in your monthly budget, but you're also going to eliminate a lot of stress and unnecessary stress in your life and by getting that debt paid off. So budgeting, debt reduction, third healthy habit, emergency savings. Emergency savings. We just said that, um, that a, a significant number of American families could not cover a $400 emergency. I think for, for uh, a lot of folks, they don't have enough saved up in cash for that emergency. So, so how much? How much do we need to have set aside for emergency savings? $1,000, $5,000, $10,000? Well, it's really not a specific number. It more depends on your financial situation. So let me give you some, 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 some parameters. These are not like set in stone rules, but these give you at least a gauge for where you should be shooting for. If you've got really steady income, W-2 income, salary, if, you've got a, if you're in a double income household. So if you've got really steady income, then I would say at a minimum, you wanna look at three months of living expenses. Living expenses, not income, but what you need to actually pay your bills for a particular month. If you're a single income home, so one person is the primary source of income, or if you have irregular income, maybe you're in sales and so you get commissions and your, your, your income is, is, you know, it's up some months and it's down other months. Uh, then you want to be looking, or if you're self-employed, so, so the, again, the income's not as consistent, more like six months of living expenses. And then if you're in retirement, you want to look at six to 12 months of living expenses. And the idea there is because something happens unexpected and you're retired, it's not so easy to just jump right back into the workforce. It's not so easy to just pick up some extra hours or a second job to cover that cost. So uh, having a, a bigger buffer is, is, is more helpful. Now, maybe some of you are thinking, man, Nate, three months, six months, 12 months, that's a lot of money. When I start doing the back of the napkin math there, I mean, that's, that's a lot. And so what I would say is don't so much get, get super concerned with, oh man, if I don't have that exact amount, then this is really, really going to be a, a, a bad thing for me. Instead, work on building up to that, make that a goal, but, uh, but have something in place. Even if you can't get to that exact three months or six months, make sure you have something as a buffer for those emergencies. Because let's face it, if you have a financial emergency, the last thing you want to do is take on more debt in that situation. You are at your most vulnerable financially, and now you're just adding to that. I mean, it's like choking on a piece of food and then deciding, oh, I'll eat more food to, to push it down my throat. Like, no, that's the last thing you need to be doing at that point. Okay, so building healthy habits, budgeting, debt reduction, emergency savings. Let's now move on to, oh, actually, one real quick on, on your, on your um, 
handout there. American Psychological Association did a survey nine years straight. <clears throat> they found that the number one source of stress in America is money. And that should come as no surprise because it's so personal. Our money really affects every aspect of our life. So let's move on to number two. Trim unnecessary spending. Again, grow and give. How do we build margin in our financial lives? Well, number one, we build healthy habits. We have a budget. We pay down our debt. We, we set money aside for emergencies. But then, secondly, we want to look at, all right, let me take a little bit of an audit of my spending. Is there anywhere where I can trim out unnecessary spending? And if we're honest with ourselves, I think for most of us, there's probably money that we're spending on a monthly basis that, hmm, we don't really need to. And so let me give you some very practical areas, some simple things that we can look at where we might be able to save some money in our monthly budget. Now, uh, a recent poll conducted by Ladder, they found that American consumers spend an average of $1,497 a month on non-essential items. So this is not utilities, this is not mortgage, this is not groceries, this is, this is not you know insurance or gas, this is like eating out. This is Amazon Prime, Target, Walmart, you know, the, the, the categories when you're looking at your, your statement, you're like, what did I spend $50 on at Target? Like, what was that for again? It's, it's those types of things, non-essentials. We don't need them. We maybe like to have them, be nice to have them, but they're non-essential. So, so what are some, some ways we can uh, take some, some specific steps, some practical steps to trim unnecessary spending. Well, number one, uh, letter A, I would say refinance your loans. Right now, interest rates are so low that uh, probably already some of you in the room have refinanced and you've, you, you've, you've taken that step. Um, and I'm talking here primarily refinancing your mortgage, okay, but uh, other loans could, could, could apply as well. Because interest rates are lower, if your credit score is good and your income is where it needs to be, you could refinance and, and pay a lower interest rate. Now, a couple thoughts on this. There's really three ways you could save by refinancing. Number one, you refinance, you get a lower interest rate, so over the, the, the length of your loan, then you're gonna be paying less money than, uh, than, than you would have otherwise. Here's the thing though, you have to remember that you have to pay money to refinance, so whatever you're gonna save over the rest of your loan needs to be more than the cost of refinance. So if it costs $5,000 to refinance and you're gonna save 3,000 in interest, well, that math doesn't add up, okay? Now, secondly, the other way you can save by refinancing is lowering your term. So let's say you have 20 years left on the mortgage and you refinance to a 15-year loan, when you pay it off five years faster, quicker, and, uh, and, 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 and save money uh, in interest by doing so. And then also, Another idea here, you can save by refinancing your home and then using a cash out amount to consolidate your other debt. Like, so for instance, let's say you have $20,000 in credit card debt and you refinance your mortgage and there's $200,000 left on it, but you refinance for $220,000, they write you a check for $20,000, you go pay off your credit cards. Now you owe $220,000 over here on your mortgage, but your credit cards are paid off. You're paying 20, you're still paying on that 20,000, but at a much lower interest rate. Does that make sense? And so that could be helpful, but I would, I would be very, I would caution you about doing that because what happens a lot of times is people say, oh, what a great idea. I'll consolidate my loans, put it in my mortgage. And then they go right back out and put money on their credit cards. So they're just adding more debt and they had no plan to actually try to close those accounts. So if you're really going to 
stay disciplined and not put more money on those loans, then that could be helpful. Um, I would just be very careful about that. So refinancing can, can help save. Shop your insurance coverage. Shop your insurance coverage. I'm talking mainly about auto, home, renters, insurance. Um, because every couple years, I think you should look at it. It doesn't cost you any money. Uh, it's very simple to do, very easy to do. And, uh, and, and you could possibly save money. Because a lot of times what, what insurance companies want to do is, um, is they want to earn your business. They want to win your business. And, and, and a lot of times they'll offer you a very competitive rate for your coverage. Be careful, though, when you're shopping in your, your insurance and whatever quotes you're getting, make sure it's for the same level of coverage. Sometimes you get a quote for insurance and it's like, oh, wow, that's so much cheaper, but it's for a lower coverage amount. That's why it's so much cheaper. Um, Shop multiple carriers, so, so go around, check out the prices of multiple different insurance companies. You can go right to you know, some of the big names of Progressive and State Farm and Allstate and you know, down the line you can talk to them. You can, you can go through an insurance broker which will shop your insurance among multiple, cover, uh, multiple carriers. The point is, make sure you do truly shop it around. Don't just look at one or two or three, look at a lot of different carriers. Remember, not all insurers are built the same though. So. Uh, sometimes if there's an insurer that you've never heard of before that's way cheaper, it might be because their customer service is not really good and they're not very good at handling claims. And so just be careful about that as well. Also bundling. So, you know, I, I, you're probably fully aware that if you, if you have auto insurance and home insurance, if you go with the same carrier, sometimes they offer you discounts by bundling those two together. But that's something simple you can do on a regular basis and um, save you money because here's what usually happens. You'll get a really good rate from an insurer. You're like, wow, this is so good. They won your business. But then you go three, five, ten years, and you haven't looked at your insurance coverage. And there's a good, good chance that you could find uh, a lower amount by, uh, by, by just shopping it around. Okay, number three, trim unnecessary spending. Refinance loans, shop your insurance coverage. Groceries and restaurants. Oh, this is a fun one. <laughs> this is one of the simplest and most impactful ways to cut spending. Um, simply by eating at home more. Now, I, I, I full disclosure here, I am not, I'm really not a spender. I, I'm, I'm not, you know, people, a lot of times we talk about like couples, husband, wife, one's the spender, one's the saver. Well, for my wife and I, we're both savers. It's kind of weird that way, but I, I don't like to spend money on, on a lot of things. However, I will admit that the one area that I am continually tempted to spend money on is eating out. It's just like, oh, let's just drive, go through the drive-thru. Let's just stop here tonight. And if you're not careful, this can be a huge item in your budget that where you overspend. So a couple of practical things here. Grocery shopping, okay? Like literally, the studies have been done. If you go grocery shopping while you are hungry, you will spend a considerable, considerably more money on your groceries. It really is amazing. And I've done that before. You're walking up and down the aisles, you're like, oh, Cheetos, oh, Fritos, oh, Doritos. Yeah, put them all in the bag, right? And uh, so have a grocery list. I know that sounds really old school, but truly have a grocery list. If you do the online pickup option, well then that's even better because you literally have to pick out the, the items that you want and you're not just gonna get into the store and be like, hmm, you know what? I would like to get that. Let's get a couple of cart, uh, quarts of uh, ice cream and throw them in, in, the, uh, in the basket. So, so have a grocery list, plan it out. Budget how much you're gonna spend for restaurants, okay? Because that's one category that, that consistently I see people overspending in because they don't have, I mean, they just literally don't have a budget for it. Uh, they're like, well, I'm hungry. It's, uh, it's a Saturday, we're out, or I'm on my way home. I'll pick up a pizza, I'm gonna run through the drive-through. And, and that really adds up quickly. So groceries and uh, restaurants, Easy area to trim unnecessary spending. Letter D, entertainment and subscriptions. 
entertainment and subscriptions. The subscriptions part, definitely. Have you noticed that like that's the way everybody wants you to pay for stuff now is a subscription? It's only $5 a month. It's only $10 a month. It's only $100 a month, whatever, whatever it happens to be. And all of a sudden you start realizing, I have like 20 subscriptions and do I even use all of this stuff? Uh, now, whether that's cable, streaming, there's food subscriptions, there's uh, stuff for the kids, there's, there's you know, these different uh, things like for, from Amazon, you send monthly subscription. Uh, take an inventory of your subscriptions. Take an inventory of your entertainment. If you've got Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus and Amazon Prime and, okay, Chances are you don't need all of those subscriptions. There is way more stuff on there. And all you do is you get on there and you just go scroll for an hour and be like, oh, I still can't find anything to watch. Okay, cut out two or three of those. You don't need them all, all right? Find one or two that you need, stick with that, save yourself some money on the subscriptions. And, and regularly look at that because you know what, what's gonna happen, right? You, you sign up for something, you're like, oh yeah. And then three months go by and you don't use that subscription anymore but it's still dinging every month and it's just sitting out there and, and even if it's five, 10 bucks, it adds up over time. And then number, or letter E, postpone purchases, postpone purchases. Okay, now listen, sometimes you need a new phone, sometimes you need a new computer, sometimes you need new shoes, all right? But sometimes you don't need them, you just want them, right? You have the iPhone 11, but you really want the 12. Okay, do you need to get the 12? Can you wait until the 13 is out? Yeah, you probably can, all right? Um, man, I really want that new MacBook Pro, but the computer you have works just fine, okay? So sometimes what we have to do is say, all right, sometimes I do need to get new this, new that. But other times, I don't need it, I just want it, and I'm trying to justify it in my own mind. And by postponing it, we will save ourselves money over the long term. So trim unnecessary spending. Those are just a few ideas there. Certainly there's other areas where we can trim unnecessary spending, but those would be some great places, great places to start. Number three, grow and give. How do we build margin in our financial lives? We build healthy habits. We budget. We pay down our debt. We have money set aside for emergencies. We look at our spending. We, we, uh, we, we, we identify, well, that's not a good use of my money. I'm not getting good value for that, so I'm going to cut it out. We start to trim. But then we have to save for the future. The reason a lot of American families are living paycheck to paycheck, why they don't have money to cover an emergency is because they haven't planned ahead for things that they should reasonably know they're going to have to buy. They're going to need a new car at some point. They're going to uh, need to make some, some home repairs. The water heater is gonna go out at some point. And the roof is gonna need a dress. And there's, okay, there's gonna be things that they're gonna need to pay for, but if you're not planning for it, if you're not saving for it, and then it's gonna hit, and then the little bit that you've built up, all of a sudden, oh, now that's gone. And now we had to put it on the credit card again. And now we had... And so by taking specific steps, taking purposeful steps to save, that'll help us to build margin in our financial lives. Um, if, if all our money is just going right out the window and spending each month, we're, we're never gonna build margin. We're never gonna be able to, to grow for the long term. So short term and long term, let's start with Letter A, short-term, let's talk about short-term savings. So this would be like five years or less is what we're talking about, five years or less. So there's certain things that you will need to, to, to pay for in the short-term that are not monthly budget, budget categories. These are not things you're paying for every month, but you can reasonably expect to pay for within five years. New car, how about vacation? 
Okay, you want to take vacation with the family, but then all of a sudden it's like, oh man, that's like in three months and we don't have any money in the bank account for vacation. What are we going to do? Um, we just came through Thanksgiving, Christmas, maybe next year. You want to go see family, Thanksgiving, Christmas, flight, hotel, well, you know, saving for those types of things. Home repairs, we, we mentioned. Maybe you're saving up for a house, down payment, whatever it happens to be that's short term. Here's what you have to remember. If you're saving for something that's five years or less, don't invest it in the market. Keep it liquid, keep it conservative, keep it accessible. Sometimes people are like, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll open a Robinhood account and I'll put some money in the market and that'll really kind of help me accelerate my savings. Maybe it will and hopefully it will, but in a short time frame like that, there's a good chance that right before you need it, it's gonna drop and all of a sudden it's like, okay, well I saved $10,000, but then now because the market just moved, now it's $9,000, okay? So if it's short-term savings, keep it liquid. You can keep it in your bank, a CD, high yield savings, money market. Here's the bad news, folks. Interest rates are so low right now, good luck getting any interest on your money in the bank or even a high yield savings. Maybe a half a percent is, is what you'll get, which is better than nothing, I suppose, but it's really not uh, gonna make a huge difference. I'm sorry, gone are the days of like 6% CDs and 10% CDs, if you remember back that far. Um, that's just not where we're at. The good side of that is that our mortgage uh, interest rates are super low, so it, it goes hand in hand. Um, make savings automatic. All right, if you need to save for these things short term, set up an automatic contribution. 25 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever it is. Even if it's small, do it. Make it automatic, make it top of mind. Don't wait till the end of the month to say, hmm, do I have any money left over that I can put in savings? No, no, make it one of your budget line items. Also, I would say set up a separate account if you can like either at your bank, set up a separate savings account, or even a separate bank account at a different bank, so that way you clearly delineate in your mind, this is not money that's in my checking account that, oh, in my mind I know there's $1,000 that I'm gonna save for, for this coming up. No, no, actually put it somewhere different so that you're not tempted to wanna to use that money for your regular savings. Um, there's a quote there on your handout from Warren Buffett, I love this quote, do not save what is left after spending, instead spend what is left after saving. That's really key. Don't wait until the end of the month after you paid for all your other stuff to see, hmm, do I have any money to save? No, 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 save first, and then if you have money left over, then maybe you can spend that money. So short term, and then letter B, long term, long term. So this would be more than five years. So what do we need to save for for the long term? Well, uh, first of all, retirement, that's the big one. I mean, that's, that's the biggest long-term goal, the one that would take the most amount of money. We're gonna say quite a bit more about investing in our second session, so I'm gonna just kind of lightly graze over this one, but 401k, retirement account, okay. By the way, if you've got a match available to you at your employer, take your match, please. That is free money, that is the best thing going. If your employer offers a 3% or a 5% or 6% match, they're doubling your money. You put three, five, six, whatever the match is, into your retirement account and they match that amount. So your money gets an immediate 100% return. So please, by all means, do that if that's available to you. Beyond that, we have IRAs, Roth IRAs. These are good savings vehicles, tax advantage savings vehicles for retirement. You can put up to 6,000 a year if you're over 50, up to 7,000 a year. Difference there being with a traditional IRA, you get the tax break now. Roth IRA, you get the tax break later. Depending on your financial situation, sometimes it makes sense to go the traditional, sometimes the Roth, but use these tools at your disposal to save on taxes and to build money for the long term and get compound interest and time on your side. Now, besides retirement, what are some other long-term savings that we should have kind of on our radar, uh, depending on our situation? Medical expenses. Uh, you realize that 
medical costs, healthcare costs have risen dramatically. They are rising much faster than regular inflation, and it looks like they will continue to uh, for, for the foreseeable future. There is something called health savings accounts that are great tools to save for medical costs, a very broad what you can use it for. You have to have a high deductible health plan in order to open a health savings account, but if you have an employer that offers you benefits like 401k, there's a good chance that a health savings account is one of the benefits that you have. And so I would definitely uh, look at taking advantage of that because you can save the money there, get a tax break now, save that money until you need to use it for a medical expense. And when you do, it's also a tax deductible withdrawal as long as it's used for that qualified. And so you can even save it for years down the road in retirement when you expect to have medical costs, even if you don't have some now. And then also college savings. So if you've got kids that you're wanting to help them with college, there's different vehicles to help them with college savings. 529 plans are kind of like IRAs for college where you can put money aside, save it, invest it, and then use it for education expenses down the road. Some colleges offer a prepaid option where you can put money now and then it, they kind of credit it based on inflation for future costs, a higher cost. Uh, there's UTMA, UGMA accounts where you put money aside for your kids. You can, again, save and invest it. And then when they turn 18 or they turn 21, then it becomes their account. They can use the money for college or for house down payment or for a car. There's, there's lots of different options out there. What I'm saying is without actually formulating a plan and putting some steps in, in place, it's not going to happen. We can, we can have the best of intentions. But without taking specific steps, we can't expect to actually make any progress. So all of the things that we've discussed so far, there are great ways to grow and to build space in your financial life. But for what purpose? Okay, why are we cutting spending? Why are we building healthy habits? Why are we saving for the future? Is it just so we can kind of sit back and kick back and say, wow, I've got a great life. Things are so good for me right now. I can really enjoy my stuff. No, as Christians, we understand we steward money well so that we can use it as a tool in the service of God. And we can be generous, we can uh, help provide for ourselves, for our family, but also we can help others. And so finally and fourthly, let's talk about some ways, um, that, was, that was a quote from Warren Buffett. Uh, let's talk about some ways, number four, we can increase your generosity. Increase your generosity. What are some practical ways that we can truly be more giving? Well, letter A, what I would say, and, uh, as far as ways to increase your generosity, is make giving non-negotiable, okay? Similar to the savings here, don't wait till the end of the month to see, hmm, do I have any money to give? Maybe I can, I can pitch in an extra 20, 50 bucks in the offering plate. Maybe I can, you know, do this or that for missions. No, no, make it a priority. Make it one of the line eyes. Make it your, one of the first things that you do. And one of the greatest tools we have now, we have online giving, we have recurring giving. You can set it right up, make it automatic. Here's how much I give for missions. Here's how much I give for the building program. Here's how much I give for tithe if my, my, you know, if, if my income is, is consistent. Make it automatic. Don't even think about it. It's just, it's what I do. I don't wait to see, well, maybe, maybe. no, no. It's, it's that important to me that I make it non-negotiable. Uh, but here's the thing. Giving is not just a transaction. Giving is not just, oh, I dropped $20 in the offering plate. I, I send in my tithe through online giving. I drop five bucks in the Salvation Army bucket. That, I mean, that's giving, but that's not all that giving is. So letter B, have a lifestyle of giving. See, when, when, when Jesus talks about generosity, when we read about generosity in 
the New Testament and how the early church lived. It was a lifestyle of giving. It's not this just that, oh, I make a contribution every now and then. No, no they, they were giving with just who they were. That was, that was their personality. Uh, so, so think about ways that you can use what God has given you in your life to be a generous person. So, uh, so for instance, your, your home. You can use your home to be generous. You can host people at your home and you can, you can have people stay with you at your home and you can show hospitality. You have a vehicle. You can use that vehicle to, to be generous and to help others and to, to give them a ride to church, give them a ride to uh, the, the doctor's appointment, give them a, uh, go and, and pick up some groceries, go and pick up some home supplies. Maybe they're shut in with COVID and this is a way that I can be generous and I can be uh, giving. What I'm saying here is have a mentality that I'm not a generous person because I just make contributions and then I sit back and do nothing else. No, no, be a generous person with all of your lifestyle and look for ways for God to use you. And then thirdly is, is what I call legacy giving, legacy giving. When you think about the most important impact you can have in this world in relation to your finances, what comes to mind? I, I think for a lot of us, man, we, we want to make sure our spouse is taken care of. Something happens to us, they're going to be taken care of. That's a good desire. I think that's a responsible desire. Maybe our kids, our grandkids, all good things. I think those are noble uh, ideals. But as a Christian, shouldn't our legacy also include the gospel and gospel work? Shouldn't we want that to be part of our legacy? And so let me give you some ideas, and, and this is something that I'm very... It excites me. I'm passionate about it. I wish more people would, would kind of take this on. But, but legacy giving, uh, why would we not also consider the work of, of the gospel as, as part of our legacy? Wouldn't it be great if we could continue to have an impact in our community and around the world for the gospel and the cause of Christ even after we've left this world? And so what are some ways that we could do that? You think about like, Harvard and Yale and these big institutions that are historical and so prestigious and they have these large endowments, right? These people donate millions, literally billions of dollars are in these endowments because people believe in these organizations and what they're doing in the world. And we want to make sure that Harvard and Yale continue for years and generations and continue to impact uh, the cause of higher education. Well, well, what about our churches and what we're doing in our local communities and, and the gospel work? Isn't that also important? Couldn't, couldn't we use that in, 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 our, in our mindset of legacy giving? And so I want to give you a couple ideas, a couple thoughts here on some just practical ways that we can do that. There's something called donor-advised funds, and maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't. It's essentially, it would work similar to an endowment to a university. So maybe you say, man, Nate, that would be a goal of mine. Maybe I can do that. Maybe I want to be able to do that one day where I could donate money I could get a tax benefit for donating it. What I do is I put it in this spot, in the special fund, donor advised fund, and then I can distribute that money at my discretion. I could do it all at once, or I could do it little by little, year after year. And what it becomes is, a, is really a, a legacy gift that can continue to giving for years to come. So for instance, hypothetically, let's say you take $100,000, you donate, donate it into a donor, donor advised fund you get a tax benefit for that donation in the year that you make 
the donation. But then you can take that $100,000 and you can invest it inside that fund. You don't have to give it all right away. And maybe each year you give a portion, a small uh, portion of that to your church as a gift. And then over the course of 20 years, that $100,000 gift becomes a $300,000 gift because it's growing while it's also giving and it becomes a legacy gift that continues to benefit uh, your church or other charitable organizations in a greater way and maximizes and increases your ability to give. Uh, another idea, those that are older, okay, uh, that have IRAs uh, or, or old re uh, uh, retirement accounts where you put money in and got a tax deduction for contributing, so you haven't paid taxes on that money yet, well, guess what the IRS is going to do? Eventually, they're gonna come knocking on your door and say, uh, excuse me, you have not paid taxes on that money and it's still in your account, uh, you need to start taking some money out so we can collect taxes on it. It's called a required minimum distribution. They just bumped it up from 70 to 72, but when you turn 72, you gotta take out at least a certain portion of it each year, and then guess what? You gotta pay taxes on that money when you take it out. Or, alternatively, there's something called a qualified charitable distribution, where you can send that money not to yourself, but directly to your church or to a charitable organization. And by doing so, you owe zero taxes. And that organization gets 100% of that money. And so if you're in a position where it's like, I got Social Security and I got a pension and I've got sources of income where I don't need that money, I'm only taking it because I have to, why, would not, why wouldn't we want to consider, wow, wouldn't that be a great way to use that money to, to be generous and, and to give a gift in a legacy way. And then uh, thirdly, finally here on, under legacy giving, estate planning. You know, think about including the church, missions work. I, I saw, uh, Pastor Ryan, the, the pamphlet you had about the village in the Tanzania, right, that, that's, that the church wants to, uh, to, to help out in a significant way. These types of things, man, why would we not also want to consider these in our, our will, our estate planning? By the way, you need to have a will, okay? That's more of an aside. But if you don't have a will, please get a will set up. It's not very hard to do if you really want to get one set up. You can talk to an estate attorney, but there's also sites like LegalZoom Others that help you to get uh, a will set up. Have a will in place. But when you think about your beneficiaries on your accounts, yeah, spouse, kids, grandkids, stuff. but what about the causes that are most important to you in life? Why, why not also consider them? Uh, consider maybe setting up a trust. In some cases, that would make sense uh, depending on, on estate planning and taxes and these types of things. Helps to avoid probate, goes right to the organization or, or, or the beneficiary that you've designated. What I'm saying here is we have to be purposeful. I think a lot of us have the right motivations. If I, if I were to talk to you on an individual basis, you'd be like, Nate, I really do. I, this, I, it, it matters to me. I want to give. I want to steward well. I want to be generous. If we don't have any plan, if we don't have any specific steps we're taking, well then how are we gonna expect that to, to come about? So let's finish with this great quote from Jesus himself. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And if you've given before, you know what I'm talking about. That when you give and when you are used as, as an instrument of generosity by God in the life of somebody else, there is nothing more satisfying. There's nothing more fulfilling than not consuming for yourself, but instead giving to others. And man, what a great thing that would be. So let's take a moment. Let's think about what practical steps we, we, we can use. Maybe there was one or two or three things that you, you noticed. Maybe it's healthy habits, budgeting, paying down debt, saving for emergencies. Maybe 2021 is a good time for us to look at our budget and say, hmm, can I trim anything out? Is there anything I can save here? Or maybe 2021 is a good time to start making some goals for some savings, short-term, long-term savings. Or maybe we're already 
in a good place. We've built margin in our financial lives and we can say, how could God use me to be more generous in this year, in the coming years, with my time, with my energy, and yes, even with my money. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.